what's going on, guys? Your host, Jordan Kai. I'm here again at Battle Arts, man. This is my home away from home. I got to tell you, I'm sitting down. This is episode 87, pre-recorded as we always do. I'm sitting down with Freedom Wallace, a.k.a. Andrew McRae, a.k.a. the man behind Junction City Wrestling. Welcome to Straight Talk. Thanks for having me, George. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm stoked to actually sit down and talk with you. One, because I, I love the character. I'm half Scottish. So the Freedom Wallace, it strikes a chord with me. If you've watched Braveheart, then we all know where kind of the Wallace aspect came from it. When I saw the Mick in front of your last name there, McKay, I figured, oh, him and I will get along just fine. 100%. One day we'll go out rocking out some kilts and hit up some pubs and start fights. You know what? I'm always looking for more cousins. So I actually have the application form here. If you want to fill this out at the end of the interview, perhaps. Uh... 100%. All right. Okay. So I, I'm sure I've already passed the screening process. Yeah. I mean, I've given you a, a once over already. Just sitting here in the three minutes we've been sitting here and uh, I think uh, you very well could be family. So uh, we'll fill out this paperwork and take it from there. Absolutely. I can't wait for the application process to come through and you let me know if I've been accepted. So I guess the first question I always ask everybody, kind of standard question that kind of starts where we're going to go on this great conversation today is everyone has that defining moment when they fell in love with wrestling. For me, it was watching a bootleg tape of Christmas of the Superfly Snooker fight at Madison Square Garden. We all know the story, Mick Foley. He jumped off the cage, much like Mick Foley, I was hooked. That's where I kind of wanted to pursue and follow my love of wrestling. Two years ago, I started the podcast, and I've been very blessed to sit down with a lot of great indie talent in and around the GTA. You definitely are, I fit into that mold 100%. I'm not a butt kisser, but I'll tell you the truth. I've been able to watch a lot of the stuff on YouTube, and the product that you have is absolutely fantastic. Your character is fantastic. Your in-ring ability is fantastic. So I do want to praise you for that because it's not easy what you do. I have never done what you guys do, but it's not easy. The grind, the work ethic, the passion, the sacrifice it takes to really focus in on this business. I give kudos to everybody I sit down and interview with because your guy's life is definitely not easy. But can you tell me your defining moment where you kind of fell in love with wrestling? Well, thank you for the kind words. Uh, it's hard for me to pinpoint where and when I fell in love with wrestling. What I often tell people is the story about having a cousin, uh, obviously, who's 10 years older than I am, and he lived in the same apartment building that I did growing up. And so from my earliest age, he already had all the big rubber LJN action figures and was already watching wrestling and renting all the tapes. So I probably fell in love with wrestling before I can even remember falling in love with wrestling. I have a lot of sort of vague, hazy, early on life memories that involve wrestling. Like I can remember finding Hasbro figures in the Zellers across the street from my apartment building. And I can remember coming home with the Hulk Hogan, with the body slam spring action and using my cousin's King Kong Bundy LJN and trying to slam the King Kong Bundy LJN with the Hasbro Hulk Hogan. And I have memories of there's like vague flashes of seeing demolition cutting a promo on a Saturday morning. And I can remember the lead up to the first show that I ever attended. So that was July 12th, 1992 Maple Leaf gardens. The main event of that show was the team of Papa Shango and the berserker taking on the ultimate warrior and the undertaker, which sounds insane. Uh, and I can remember being so excited leading up to that show and, for whatever reason, I can remember like thoughts like lying in bed and being so excited for LOD to beat up the Beverly Brothers and so excited for the big boss man to come back and get his vengeance on nails 
for having beaten him up with his own nightstick. And I can remember the day of that show, July 12th, 1992, like just so excited the time couldn't pass fast enough and like trying to nap in my Nana's apartment on her couch. To there was pass, no napping to that pass day. The time. No, there was no I was napping that so day. so excited. So by mid-1992, I was definitely already in love with wrestling. It's hard to pinpoint when I fell in love with it, but from a very early age. No, I think you uh, you hit the nail in the coffin. You pinpointed a lot. You gave us a lot of nostalgia there, man. Zellers, no longer here. Maple Leaf Gardens, no longer here. That shows nostalgia and that shows passion, which I appreciate. So when did you decide that, okay, this is something I want to do, something I want to put my best foot forward and make a big part of my life? When did you start training and who did you start training with? The very first day I trained was in March of 2013. I went to Squared Circle Training, which was run by Rob Fuego. And at that time, there were a lot of names that you might recognize there training as well. I can remember being taught some holds by Tomer Shalom, Buck Gunderson, a lot of different guys. I could go on and on and on. Channing Decker was there at that time. Alexia Nicole, was she there as well? I, I know she started Squared Circle. I feel Jasmine would have been there, who's now Aaliyah in NXT. Alexia Nicole, I think we crossed paths in 2013. I don't know if it was at that first session that I went to. It was actually Warhead that encouraged me to go to Squared Circle, and the real goal was for me to become a better referee because I got into wrestling shows through Death Proof when I was invited to be the DJ for an event that was held at the Rock Pile back in May of 2012. And because I loved wrestling, Warhead let me be the special guest referee of the main event that night, which from what I remember was Warhead versus Jesse Amato, feel like Justin Sane might have been there too. I've been uh, hitting the head a whole bunch, so, you know, which is really no laughing matter, but my, my memory's uh, not, not as sharp not as it, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but my first training session was March of 2013. I did one. Then I did four consecutive Tuesdays in the June of 2013, also at Squared Circle. And then I took a step back for a couple of months. But in the August of 2013, I found out about Battle Arts Academy opening up. And on the very first day that Battle Arts opened in September of 2013, I walked in and signed up to be a professional wrestler. That's amazing. That's amazing. Like, I mean, you, when you have the drive to do that and to put your body through everything you put your body through, like you mentioned, not a jokey matter, but being hit in the head a lot. I mean, safety is a big thing. We've talked in depth with a lot of guys, Justin Sane, uh, Lionel Knight, Lexi Nicole, Golden Albright. We talked in depth, even Ben. I interviewed Ben a couple episodes back. We talked about the safety factor. So tell me about getting in the ring for the first time. You know, you're feeling everything. You're feeling the ropes. You're feeling, you're feeling the mat. You're feeling everything. And taking that first bump. What was it like taking that first bump? And do you, do you remember thinking, as you're staring up at the rafters, do you remember thinking, man, I don't know if I've signed up wholeheartedly 100%. I don't know if I can hang all, all this. Or did you end up thinking, man, I want more? Well, I don't remember my first bump, to be honest. But I'm obviously still here wrestling, so I guess I said, man, I want more. Or, man, I want to learn how to not bump so much. <laughs> I definitely consider myself a less is more wrestler, very much into self-preservation. Um, I don't remember the first bump. I can remember some of the early first bumps. 
I can remember being slapped upside the head by Buck Gunderson in my first match back in December of 2013. I can remember leaping from the top rope and hitting Buck Gunderson with a missile drop kick back in 2013. I can remember the first time maybe I questioned whether or not this was a smart idea was probably after my match with Harry Smith. So that would have been July of 2014. I was still super fresh, extremely green. Now I'm just moderately green. <laughs> and he beat me in that match with a sit-down powerbomb. And I, man, like, that was a hard powerbomb, you know? So, like, I loved it. And obviously growing up, I was a huge fan of the Hearts and the British Bulldogs. And so wrestling Harry Smith was like a dream come true, ultimately. Um, but yeah, that sit down power bomb at the end of that match was like, holy smokes. I don't know how many of those I can take and still get up after them. Um, so yeah, I don't remember the first bump, but it obviously didn't discourage me that much. So I'm still getting smashed around on the regular. hundred percent, hundred percent. Now let's go back a little bit. We talked about kind of uh, those hazy memories of defining moments when you fell in love with it. Early on influences or influences now that you still hold true, guys that maybe not so much you've modeled your in-ring style after, but guys that you definitely hold to that special standard of, you know, these are the guys that really kind of pushed me or made me want to say, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. I'm going to give it a shot because everybody has those influences. I mean, we already know you love the sport. That's why you signed up for it, but everybody's got an influence. Yeah, I guess it goes back to my childhood heroes. I have early memories of drawing on my face with Crayola markers, doing ultimate warrior and, running around the house with Crayola safety scissors, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. But my favorite wrestler to this day is Bret the Hitman Hart, without question, obviously. And then Owen Hart and Davey Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, are right there also. Yeah, we I, just hit the 20th anniversary of Owen's passing. Yeah, and Davey Boy's was not long ago either. Mm-hmm. And... Some of my early memories, again, like going back into 1992, that's kind of the year where I came up and can actually start remembering loving wrestling. And another vague, hazy memory is the night of SummerSlam 92. My family never had pay-per-view capabilities. So but you had I, a black box. No. Everybody I, in the 90s had a black box. I didn't man. have a black box. I didn't have pirate TV until like the late 90s. Um, I hope the feds aren't listening. <laughs> But it was, yeah, the night of SummerSlam 1992, we didn't have the means of watching pay-per-view. So I was one of those kids that would listen to the pay-per-view scrambled. But back then, the scrambling technology wasn't as good as it got to be later on in the 90s. So every once in a while, you'd get a vague flash of the actual program coming through and you could see what was on the screen. So I can remember listening to British Bulldog versus Bret Hart in Wembley Stadium at SummerSlam 92. And every once in a while, getting a flash of them on the screen and being really excited about that. And shortly thereafter, I can also remember catching the Saturday night's main event where Shawn Michaels beat Davy Boy for the Intercontinental title in like November of 1992. So I can remember when that aired. And I can remember my cousin that I mentioned earlier explaining to me why Marty Jannetty and the Dynamite Kid weren't there. Because I guess, you know, my whatever at that time i'm like five and a half years old and my world's mixed with vhs tapes and yeah just all these memories that flood to the forefront when people ask me about it 
Mm-hmm. What was the original question again? No, the original, <laughs> the original question was influences. But I mean, you mentioned you mentioned a lot of the same guys that I idolized myself yeah. as a kid. And for me, that's an epic match for sure. But for me, it's got to be WrestleMania 10, Owen versus Brett. Yeah. I could have watched that, even though that match was close to almost 30, I think it was 33 minutes was the final runtime of it. I could watch another half an hour or 45 minutes. They could have done four hours straight on just that match. Yeah. And I would have, that would have been enough for me. But that, that probably hands down sits atop my all-time favorite matches. I mean, I'm more of a hardcore guy, too. As I got later on in my teen years, ECW was a big thing. I had a cousin who lived in Philly, so he used to send me the tapes. See, cousins. Look at that. Cousins, there right? There you go. He used to send me the tapes, and I remember uh, watching those matches thinking, like, this is the future of wrestling. But then you sit back and you think about it in your later, in your later years, your 20s and your 30s, and you think, no, those matches definitely were not the forefront because everybody that went in those matches, their lifespan got cut shorter oh. every time they stepped in the ring for those. Yeah. So in terms of your in-ring ability and your in-ring style, uh, is there a particular match that you really hang your hat on? Are you more of a classic one-on-one pinfall or submission type match? Or do you enjoy when you get into the ring, do you like to mix it up with the occasional stipulation? Whether it be Iron Man match, whether it be Falls Count Anywhere match, whether it be, you know hardcore match if you can get into it or ladder match is there any stipulation matches that you like or are you just classic you know one-on-ones you got to beat me in the middle of the ring you got to make me submit or you got to make you got to pin me usually if i have the choice i would send my cousin into battle before me uh and over the past few years i've really gotten into being a tag team with my cousin bradford montague so It's not really a stipulation match, but I've come to love tag team wrestling, Mm -hmm. uh, mostly because I don't get as hurt. That's a joke. Uh, It still hurts. Um, But I love tag team wrestling. It's a lot of fun. There's a it's a different art to tag team wrestling. It's a different type of competition. There's a lot about tag team. Yeah, tag team wrestling in itself is completely different than singles wrestling. Uh, I like a good one-on-one singles match. I haven't been in too many stipulation matches, to be honest. I've been in a few street fights. Those are always fun. Um, the most epic street fight of all time, man. Goldust and Roddy Piper. WrestleMania 12. They even incorporated OJ Simpson into that, which I thought was completely hilarious. The parody of the chase, the (laughs) overhead helicopter, (laughs) the car chase. Yeah. Um, and going back to influences, Obviously, with the kilt and the bagpipes, Rowdy Roddy Piper is one of my all-time 100%. favorites, along with the hearts. Um, but yeah, I guess I would say tag team street fights are my favorite stipulation match, if I had to name one. Tornado I've had a tag in a street fight. I love yeah, it. Yeah, and all, obviously, all the street fights I've had, if I think about it, they've all been outside, generally either in a parking lot some of the early Junction City wrestling shows in the Ale Yards, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. And I had a good one at a rib fest once. Bradford Montague and I wrestled the fraternity. Channing Decker and Trent Gibson wound up getting dumped in some garbage bins and dumping them in some garbage bins. And I've fought in porta potties and I've fought inside brewery tap rooms and I've literally sandbagged an opponent before hit them over the back with a sandbag. That was the drunken master Bolo Fung. That was my most recent tag team street fight was with the drunken master Bolo Fung and his tag team partner, Jun Yoon Lee, which you can see in episode eight of season two of Junction City Wrestling, which is, of course, on YouTube. 
Um, Give it a little bit more popular. You gotta say, exclusively available on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just did it for me. There you go. So go check that out on YouTube. Junction City Wrestling, Season 2, Episode 8, Tag Team Street Fight. Can we can we pause for one second? Yes, we can. What's up? All right. So since I shamelessly plugged the YouTube page, let's talk about Junction for a second. Mm-hmm. Tell me about where the idea began to start your own promotion. I believe if I did my research correctly. Now, mind you, the internet lies a lot of the time. But if I did my research correctly, this was an idea that started in mid 2016 or early 2017. Am I wrong? You are correct. You're both wrong and right. There's like a further back tale to tell. Okay. So. Let's go further back. Tell me about it. Okay, so where to begin? Let's see. As a person who grew up loving professional wrestling, putting on pro wrestling shows was always something I wanted to do. I was the guy that organized all the students to uh, wrestle each other in the park just off of school property back in grade seven, going that far back. And Obviously, always. I was that kid, too. Okay. I feel like there's a lot of us. Um, And I obviously used to play with the action figures all the time and had binders full of all the cards written out and would do Monday Night Raw and SmackDown on Thursday. And that would lead to the pay-per-views. And every once in a while, there'd be a house show. And I kept standings and kept the win-loss records of all my action figures and all the characters. So I always wanted to do shows. In 2012, 2013, as I started to get involved in the shows myself, I met Buck Gunderson, one of the many characters that popped into my life in that time. And in early, mid-2013, Buck Gunderson and I started toying with the idea of having a wrestling show in the neighborhood where I live, which is The Junction in Toronto. And this is around the time that I started training as a referee and a wrestler. And this is around the time that Buck Gunnarsson started Victory Commonwealth Wrestling. So there was an idea there where I would run a show that would be like the proving ground to Victory Commonwealth Wrestling. And guys that did well on that show would get a chance to wrestle on the VCW shows. And Buck Gunnarsson and I got as far as scouting venues. We got into one venue called 3030 on Dundas Street West and got as far as measuring the floor as to where we would put the ring and it never came to be. But as far back as 2013, I was starting to play with the idea of putting on wrestling shows. But deep inside, I also wanted to wrestle on those shows, you know? Of course. Um, So, and at that point, I wasn't ready to do that. So flash forward four years later, I guess three and a half years later, end of 2016, I got a mailer in my mailbox from a new brewery that had opened up behind my house, and it's called Rainhard. So I went and checked it out, and in my first couple visits to Rainhard, I was secretly scouting the both inside the brewery and the parking lot outside of the brewery. And finally brought it up to them. So this would be like sort of November 2016 and around there. And brought it up to them. I was like, hey, have you guys ever thought about having wrestling in your parking lot? Like it looks like it could work. And they were kind of lukewarm on the idea and they didn't bite on it. And next door to Reinhardt is another brewery called Shacklands. 
So in my visits to the ale yards where these breweries are, I eventually went into Shacklands as well. And in pretty much, I think it was the second time I ever visited Shacklands, but it was the first time that I really got to talk to the owner. His name is Dave Watts. And Dave Watts has set up a shelf of everything in his tap room. And there's all kinds of memorabilia. And sitting there, I'm looking at the shelf of everything. And I saw a Brutus the Barber Beefcake collector glass on the shelf. So that was my cue to ask Dave, hey, I see your Brutus the Barber Beefcake collector glass. Have you ever thought about having wrestling in the parking lot? And right away he was like, yes. Like, no, I haven't. But yes, let's do it. Um, so Dave at Shacklands Brewing was the first guy to really jump on it and help me put on the very first Junction City wrestling show. So the very first show, this conversation would have been around March, April, 2017. And right away we started working towards the first show, which took place on July 16th, 2017. And in 2017, we did three shows. So it was July 16th, 2017. August 20th, 2017. And then we did another one, I believe it was October 1st, 2017. And that was our very first October fist. And the shows, the first two, the first one was, I would say, well attended for it being an upstart show. It was free to attend in the parking lot outside of the brewery. And even though the neighboring breweries right there, Reinhardt, they didn't participate. It was just Shacklands that helped me put on this first show, the first five shows, to be honest. So we did the first one in July, well attended. The second one in August, there was hardly anybody there, but we still had a great time. And the show ended with me getting thrown into the trunk of my own vehicle, and it ended with a car chase. So like the 40 to 50 people that were there were like, this is crazy. And then uh, it was a huge stunt, which you can, of course, check out online on YouTube. I believe it is uh, episode eight and nine of season one of Junction City Wrestling. Well, I get kidnapped in episode five. The car chase breaks out in episode seven of season one. You might as well just start from the beginning. And start from the beginning exclusively on YouTube. Correct. <laughs> um, and then when we got to the October show in 2017, there were hundreds of people there. And we were like, OK, we're doing something right. So that was uh, the season finale of the first year. Then we came back into the parking lot in July of 2018. So there was quite a gap between shows. October of 2017 to July 2018. July... Well, guys, isn't that the standard now? I mean, think about that for a second. You consider it a gap. I consider it making people want, making people salivate for more. Right. I mean, much look, at, look at, for example, look at Netflix. We're, we're talking two years between Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. We're talking two years between, you know, seasons. And even if, even if you think about it, when a TV show ends, unless it's a series finale, you're talking three, four months before you get any more. So it's not really a gap. It's more of making people want. Yeah, I can. <clears throat> uh, I agree with that. And so in the second year, along in that vein, as opposed to doing three, I was like, well... Let's just do two this year because, you know, three didn't, we had two really good shows, one not so well attended. Let's just do two, see how it goes. So July 2018, hundreds of people showed up. It was a huge event, huge success, still free to attend, but 
everyone loved it. That was the start of season two, which you can, of course, check out on YouTube. And then we did another show. So that would have been our fifth show in October of 2018. It was actually September 29th. We did our second October Fist. And there was maybe 90% of the amount of people at that one as there were in July. So that was a huge success as well. And through Oktoberfest, we got a decent amount of media coverage. I was on a BlogTO podcast only in Toronto prior to the event. And then BlogTO came to Oktoberfest in 2018, took a bunch of pictures, wrote an article about it. And then that BlogTO article has led to further shows and even greater success. So we did five free shows in the parking lot outside of Shacklands Brewing Co. with just their support. Then in January of this year, 2019, I finally held my first indoor show inside a third brewery, which is in that same pocket in the ale yards. And that brewery is the most prominent of the three. It's called Junction Craft Brewing. And even as far back as 2013, when I was first toying with the idea of putting on shows, I knew that I should probably approach the local brewery to get their support to do this. And at that time, Junction Craft Brewing was in a very small space in the neighborhood. But since then, I believe they moved in 2018. They moved into this giant, beautiful building from the 1930s. It was once upon a time a garbage incinerator. And it's referred to as the Destructor on signs. And it's this beautiful Art Deco building that they put a gazillion dollars into renovating and have made it their brewery space. Oh, it looks gorgeous. I mean, if you check out any of the pictures on the Facebook page, even the episodes on YouTube, it's definitely obviously different if you've seen it live. But watching it on TV is just as spectacular. We talked about that before we went on air, is that how much I dig the venue. But the venue itself is, is crazy. I almost wish that you had the design capabilities in like some of the WWE games to try to reincorporate that. But the design structure for the WWE games is not that hands-on. You really can't just design stuff. But man, if they ever did like an indie wrestling game, that would be a, that would be a venue I, I would petition for because the venue is just outstanding. It is beautiful. And I don't think the WWE even realizes the potential in holding shows in unique venues such as that. I know it happens throughout the world. There's all kinds of beautiful theaters and I've seen several other brewery shows starting to pop up. Um, but the Destructor, the home of Junction Craft Brewing, is a beautiful venue and it really fits the aesthetic of Junction City Wrestling that I'm going for, which is sort of crumbling brick and rusted pipe and there's a nostalgic feel to it and that matches what we're going for. So the first one in The Destructor was January 2019. It was The Destructor Rumble. There were over 200 people there, and it was a huge success. And most recently, we had our second event inside Junction Craft Brewing. That was Mayhem. That was on May 5th. And there was nearly 200 people there. Still a huge success. And it has become... I don't know if it's going to be the only home of Junction City Wrestling, but that's our current home field is Junction Craft Brewing inside the Destructor. So that's where we're going to be moving forward. However, tying back to the venue that I first looked at back in 2013, 3030 will be the venue for our next show, which is coming up on June 23rd, 2019. So that's 
full circle because that's where I initially wanted to hold shows in my neighborhood. And 3030 is a beautiful restaurant bar. They're going to serve beer from Shacklands Brewing, from Junction Craft Brewing, and another brewery. It's a long story. Long Slice Breweries tied into the story as well. Now you should try them all. And so 3030 will be the place where we hold our next show. That's June 23rd. And then we're going back into the parking lot for another free show, July 27th. And now this time, not only is Shacklands Brewing going to host the event, but so is Junction Craft Brewing. And so is the neighboring brewery, Reinhardt Brewing. So I've managed to bring those three breweries together to work together to host this wrestling event. And the free one in July is actually going to be in support of a charitable organization. It's a hockey team that we work closely with. So it's in support of the Gladiators of the Hockey Association for the Developmentally Challenged. So they've been involved in all five of the outdoor parking lot shows so far. They've set up a booth and they've brought the players out and they've held 50-50 raffle. And we've had bits and pieces where the players come in the ring to help with the draw and they all wear their jerseys. And so this year, those are the next two. We got 30-30, which is several years in the making because I checked that place out years ago. I don't want to put pressure on your shoulders here, but this would almost be your WrestleMania. I mean, if you think about it, think about the story of WrestleMania for a second. I just want to go, just work with me on this. I think you'll like where I'm going. Look at Vince McMahon and where he always wanted to hold it. He always wanted the goal was always for the first one. It was always going to be Madison Square Garden. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You always wanted to hold something at 30-30. It may have, it may have been a little runaround, but you've come back full circle. I mean, that's, that's pretty awe-inspiring. That's that never-give-up, can-do, full-force attitude that we love about wrestling. I mean, that's the attitude that everybody holds, that everybody that loves this sport and this business holds so high is that there's no door that can be slammed in your face. There's just a door that can close slightly until eventually you got to knock or kick it in. And you know what? I'll give kudos to you on that, man. You always wanted to hold something 30-30. It came. It took a little bit. The journey might have been longer than you wanted it to be. But now you're there. And that's that's inspiring. So kudos to you for smart smart business decisions, smart relationship decisions, smart building. And that's why I wanted you on the show, because I wanted to highlight those aspects. I think as much as I think your, your character is fantastic because you're Scotsman like me, as much as I think the character is fantastic and your wrestling ability is fantastic, your business mindset is something that really popped to me. And I look at the research and everything that I did for it and preparing for this interview. And I got to say kudos to you. And again, I'm not kissing your ass. I'm just being straight up and honest with you. Thank you. Thank you. And this is, of He's course, blushing. He's Scottish. Uh, yeah. He's pale. So you can see him blush quite easy. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know what to say. Bromance is developing. He's going <laughs> to invite me to the next show. I'm going to be there. You know what? You don't even need to fill out the paperwork. You are now officially my cousin. Now I'm family, so I have to be there because I'm family. You can't turn away family. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm... The storytelling of the whole scenario is not lost on me, finally getting into 3030. And even to a lesser degree, having Reinhard Brewing take part in this year's outdoor show and bringing those three breweries together because that was ultimately the original idea when I approached... Shacklands back in 2017 was, hey, wouldn't it be great if we can get all three breweries serving outside and just have everybody work together? But it took a couple of years to get to that stage. Uh, and then, so beyond June 23rd and July 27th, we of course will be back in the Destructor in Junction Craft Brewing on October 6th for our third edition of Oktoberfest. Um, and of course, you can keep up to date with all the info about Junction City Wrestling on any of our social media pages, which you can find at Wrestle Junction. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, 
There is JunctionCityWrestling.com. Right now, it just leads to tickets for 3030, which I strongly suggest you pick up before they're all sold out. And as George says, this very well may be the WrestleMania. Um, so, you know, don't wait. Um, but yeah, follow us online and keep up with the the story as it continues to develop before our eyes. I don't even know where where it's going to turn next. Every, you know, even you messaging me to do this interview, it's always a surprise all the surprises at every turn, you know? Um, and then even so I should mention there's a fourth show coming up this year as well, which came as a surprise. So I mentioned that blog TO had written the article when they came to Oktoberfest last year. And then earlier this year, I got a message from Horseshoe Resort in Barrie. This is unknown to just about everybody. This is breaking news here this on Straight Talk. breaking Wrestling. news. But the Horseshoe Resort in Barry reached out to me upon reading that article from Blog TO, and the events person had said that, hey, the the owner of the resort, he read you the article on Blog TO. He's got kids that love wrestling, and we want your show here. So on August twenty fourth, twenty nineteen, Junction City Wrestling Summer Vacation, the Horseshoe Resort in Barry, Horseshoe Valley. That's dope, man. And I, I got I got to be honest with you too, man. I love, I love the names of the events. Summer <laughs> vacation, Oktoberfest. Like it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Like I gotta say, like the, the creative aspect is something that in this day and age of wrestling, we're wrestling. If you wouldn't mind, like you know, you got to go back to the Attitude Era for a little bit. There was the peak. Everybody and their mother was a wrestling fan, or at least everyone and their mother knew about wrestling. Then we kind of had that tipping point, and after the ruthless aggression era, if you will, it kind of faded up. And it became just for the fans again. But now it's to the point where there's so much out there. There's so much options. The indie scene is bubbling and percolating all over again. You got AEW, which is tonight, 7 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Got to find out what they're all about because it's literally been seven months of talking. Now the time for talking stops. We have to see if Cody is much like his dad and ready to take that promotion to the next level, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see what it's going to be. I won't be able to watch it tonight because I'll be celebrating my wife's birthday. She had to be born on the day that AEW is so selfish. Oh, so selfish. happy birthday to George's wife. <laughs> By the time you hear this, it won't be. It'll be two weeks anymore. after your birthday, but she'll appreciate it for sure. No, but it, you have to, you have to go. It's almost now in this day and age, especially the time period we're living in. Wrestling is, is such a major pop culture phenomenon. Again, it's a focal point again. And the fact is that without say WWE kind of opening the doors to a lot of other markets, but also giving everyone a place to work and giving everyone a place to showcase their talents, whether it be working for 20 bucks or a thousand bucks or 10,000 bucks. Like, uh, you know, I believe you yourself, didn't you have something going down at 205? I did have a match on 205. That was May 1st of 2018. I wound up in the ring against Buddy Murphy prior to him becoming the Cruiserweight Champion. Him absolutely decimating me on 205 Live. Yeah, that decimation strapped a rocket to his back and led to him 100%. becoming the champion. When, when you have that ability to be that, you know, that decimating, if you will, to use the word again, that decimating on on air for that 90 seconds, that's going to give the push that, okay, they're, they're now showing that this guy is indestructible. And if you're indestructible without the strap, that's nothing. That's like being undefeated without a belt. Like we could talk however we want to talk about Goldberg's undefeated streak. Yeah, okay, he had 164 wins before he had the title. But then if you think about it after the title, he had four or five title defenses before he lost the title. Should the streak have ended? Who knows? Same thing with Asuka. She had all kinds of wins before she won the women's title. She had a lot of great title defenses, but it was really only 12 or 13. 
So how can you say a hundred and something or seven hundred plus days? Well, if you're only wrestling once every three months, it's pretty easy to have a streak like that go into effect. Same thing with be done. Streaks are great, but if you don't have the ability to consistently be defending or have a strap before the like if a streak began and you didn't have any goal to back it up, really cares. But to show that right before it, it makes logical sense. You show somebody going and being that dominant. And the fact that you were willing to take those bumps and willing to take that decimation shows the working ability on your part, right? I don't know if willing is the correct term. It was more of uh, a case of, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I wasn't willing to be decimated. I just was decimated. That was in all reality. But really, that was a profound moment in my life to progress from being that kid, playing with Crayola safety scissors, mimicking my favorite wrestlers. And then all of a sudden, here I am walking down the ramp in the Bell Center. And, you know, I didn't get an entrance. I was the local competitor. And I'm not complaining. I shouldn't have got an entrance. But I walked down the ramp with the referee with the lights down. And then I got in the ring and I'm standing in the corner. And they're playing the backstage bits on the screen and it's Buddy Murphy getting weighed in and making weight. Well, the lights are down and I'm standing there in the bell center in the ring. I took a moment to look so around yeah. and I was like, Holy smokes. Like, you know, you, it didn't phase me the amount of people, but it wasn't lost on me. Like I took that moment to be like, wow, like here I am. And then the irony of being in the bell center was not lost on me either, where I was traumatized as a child because of the Montreal screw job. Of course, my hero, Bret Hart had his WWF career end at that time. Um, and then, you know, I screwed my hero and then just absolutely beat the crap out of me that night. But, uh, it was totally worth it. I'd totally do it again. And I would love to go back and I might have to send my cousin first, but, Buddy Murphy has not seen the last of Plan Freedom. And that would be amazing to see that again. And hopefully this time around, the match will be very much different and stretched out a little bit more. Uh, length length is great. But like I said, I got to again, to go back to that match, watching it beforehand, I was like, you know what? I see why they did it. It fit perfectly. You got to think about the business aspect and the stories they're trying to tell. Yeah, you were the local competitor, but it's still pretty cool. I mean, anybody that wants to go back needs to go back and check it out on the WWE Network. It is available. True. I did have a name, actually. They called me Liam Louie. Liam Louie. Yeah, I yeah. remember that. When I saw it, I was like, eh, I prefer the, uh, I prefer. Uh... There's, there's a, well, there's a lot of funny stories from that time in Montreal. It was a couple of days. But uh, one thing in particular was Dean Malenko. He was the agent of the match. And he'll uh, be with AEW tonight, I saw. They signed yes, him. they signed him officially as, I don't know if he's head coach, but he's one of the coaches. A coach and, a, and an agent. Well, at that time, Dean Malenko was the agent for the match between Buddy Murphy and I. And a couple hours before the match, he said, kid, what do you wrestle as? And I was like, Freedom Wallace. And he kind of looked at me like, uh, Freedom like with that sort of like really look on his face. <laughs> it's like freedom. Uh, okay, we'll come up with something. And then, uh, yeah, before the match, I was there, not even quite in gorilla, but in like the pre gorilla, <laughs> uh, where some of the agents and producers will sit and watch. So prior to going up to gorilla and 
all the other guys are there in their gear and there's Brian Kendrick and there's uh, Nakamura was there warming up because after 205 Live, he was going to wrestle Daniel Bryan in sort of the, the dark match for the arena. I guess at the time, that's how they keep everybody in the building. So that's why there were still 15,000 people in the Bell Center to watch me get destroyed. Um, but then I was there and then Nigel McGuinness came walking up and he was like, all right, so Liam Louie told me my name. That was it. But really, Liam kind of rhymes with freedom. So it could kind of be like Freedom Liam, maybe. Yeah, Freedom Liam. I mean, it doesn't matter what they call me. Like, they called me anything. So that's great in itself. Like, I had a WWE name. And yeah, you can go check it out on the WWE Network. May 1st, 2018, episode 75. Let's just say that it's Freedom Liam Louie versus Buddy Murphy. And it was only Louie because we were in Quebec. I think it would be better if it was Liam Lewis. Yeah, but Louis, obviously, because they're in Quebec, and you got to pander to the French, right? Right. You got to pander to the French fans. One of my favorite (laughs) things that happened after the fact was, obviously, it was triple powerbomb, knockout, I'm dead. And there was a series of tweets from the fans in the building, concerned for my well-being. And my favorite one was a tweet from a fan in the rafters. He must have been in the top row of the Bell Center. And he took a picture you can see me laying in the middle of the ring with the referee and the doctor over me. And because he's French, the, the tweet was, Le Jabber de 205 Live is dead par Buddy Murphy. It's <laughs> 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 like, that's too funny. The Jobber is dead because of Buddy Murphy. And uh, yeah, when I got up on my feet and walked out of there, there was a thank you jobber chant. And even during the match, there's a let's go jobber chant. And my only offense, which you can see in a one minute clip on my Freedom Wallace artist page at Freedom BAA, which of course stands for Battle Arts Academy, where we are right now. There's a one minute clip which culminates in my one piece of WWE offense, which is me giving Buddy Murphy a real good forearm for all the beatings I was taking i had to fight back at some point so yeah you had to give a little bit of decisiveness yeah you know you gotta you gotta show that you're just not gonna roll over and die i'm there i'm there i'm there to fight i'm there to fight yeah um but yeah that got a good reaction from the the montreal crowd i was chanting let's go jobber and then there was that one good hey and then there was a yeah and then it was oh and then it was oh le jobber (laughs) the 205 live is dead par buddy murphy Uh, it's cool though when you, can, when you can get to have those experiences. I mean, considering the fact that it's only been you know six years in your wrestling career, right? But now you've got that under your belt. You've seen kind of how the main caliber products work, or the undercards of the main caliber product, if you will. So you can take some of those, maybe what you saw backstage, and try to incorporate them into your own promotions and make those things even stronger, right? Because I mean, you're not around for thirty plus years without understanding what you need to do and how well you need to run the company. And that's what you hear a lot about when people do leave or people do give up or people leave and come back. They say, no, I left. I went on the Indies. I did my thing. But always nice to come back here because how well organized everything is and how this and that it all was. Because all you ever hear about during the Monday Night Wars, you hear about how disorganized WCW was. And how everything was so last minute. And it was ever, whoever was kissing, you know, Kevin Nash's butt that day was going to get an opportunity on the show, right? So it's good when you can see the organization factor of a multi-billion dollar corporate conglomerate. You can bring those back and try to incorporate some, not all, some things. Mind you, your storylines much more creative than theirs. Let's, <laughs> let's call a spade a spade here, man. I haven't seen a car chase or a good old fashioned. The only thing I've seen with a porta potty was what was it, seven, nah, maybe almost a year and a, a year and a bit ago, 
when Braun Strowman put Kevin Owens in the border potty and then pushed it off the uh, the dock at the back of the building. That was the only thing I really seen. A lot of the stuff they were doing with Strowman was some of the more cooler, creative things. But still, it's not lost on fans as to yeah, okay, I get it. You know, you're you're, you're the big dog in the yard. But mind you, they're worried about AEW. There is a concern for AEW. They want to see what they're going to do, right? And now that the TV deal is there, it's, it's going to be an interesting next couple of months. Are definitely going to be interesting to see what exactly because we know that Vince McMahon and WWE is better with competition. Now, is AEW competition? I'm not saying yes. I'm not saying no. But you know they're on the radar. You know Triple H and Vince are going to find a TV somewhere tonight. And they're going to be checking this out. And they're going to be seeing what the fans like and what the fans dislike. Are you excited all about the possibility of maybe another Monday Night Wars broom? Because remember the highlight of the Attitude Era? The peak of it and how great all that was. The back and forth. Just a cool time to be a wrestling fan. I think I'm more excited about the fact that it's a cool time to be a wrestler, too. Because now there's another big stage to perform on. Not necessarily even for myself, but for all the other wrestlers out there. Um, It's hard for me to get emotionally invested in watching wrestling how I once did, you know? Like, I used to really care. That was actually going to be my next question. Because to go from being a fan to now working in the business, how different is it for you to actually sit back and... Like you can't just sit back on a Tuesday now and be like, I oh, know I'm going to watch SmackDown. I've been watching a bit. I'm going to sit down and... because then you start analyzing, you start looking at things, you start seeing mistakes in the matches that maybe a regular fan like myself wouldn't know, but you being trained in the ring, you would know. Yeah, I watch for different reasons when I do watch, and more often than not, when I do watch, I'll go back and watch like superstars from 1988. Like I'd rather watch that in most cases. 100. percent Um. Yeah, I don't like when, you know, 1997 is my favorite year in wrestling, I'd say. And I was so invested, like the Hart Foundation winning was as important as the Leafs winning a playoff game. Sorry to all the non-Leaf fans out there. But I love the Maple Leafs and am still emotionally invested in them. Big game coming up for me tonight, man. I'm a diehard Raptor fan. There you go. And the chance to close out the series. Now, mind you, once this airs. Though I've already closed out the series and probably hopefully played one or two games in the NBA Finals. Let's knock on wood as I knock on my own knock on skull wood. That's right. at the moment. Um, so am I excited for a new potential Monday Night War? Yes, but for different reasons than being like, oh, this is going to be sweet. I can't wait to watch and see what develops uh, in the stories. I don't even know how to phrase it at this point, but I would... I'd be watching for different reasons. I'm interested to see, yeah, the style of the presentation. I'm looking for different things, you know? Like you mentioned watching to see if guys make mistakes. It's not so much that. I would like to see, like, okay, how are these guys wrestling? Like, what style are they wrestling? Obviously, I'm more of a... I like to consider myself more of a storyteller in the ring. And when I say like less is more wrestling, it's like, well, as opposed to flips and dives, like you're more likely to see me apply a headlock or maybe one of a more unique submission hold. Um, But so I'm curious to see how they wrestle, you know, like there's a certain style of wrestling. There's a TV style of wrestling uh, and a lot of the, that you see more often than not, um, yeah, so I, my answer is I'm 
more excited about the fact that there's another big stage to perform on. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see how they present this big stage. How are they going to separate themselves from the WWE? You know, like with Junction City Wrestling, I'm not necessarily trying to appeal to the typical already existing wrestling fan base. Like I'm trying to appeal to families, maybe their dads that loved wrestling in 1988 and used to watch superstars on Saturday morning. And now they have five and seven year olds and I want them to be able to bring their kids and enjoy the show and create new fans out of those kids and maybe create a new fan out of the wife of the family or the husband or, you know, the grandmother or the dog. Um, Dogs are of course welcome at our outdoor events in the alley yards. And so are grandmothers and cousins, of course. Um, So I'm trying to create new fans and tap into people's warm and fuzzy feelings of nostalgia and bring those people back into loving wrestling that have maybe slipped out in the last 10, 20 years for whatever reason. Because wrestling obviously is way different than it once was. So I'm curious to see how they approach their presentation. Because I know that I'm, I approach my presentation differently than what the standard is. Mm-hmm. So No, I think that's, a, that's an interesting point, an interesting question to bring that up. Let's play a little bit of a game that I like to call, which is what if. All right? You have a contract from each of the four majors on the table. WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, Impact. Those are kind of the four big dogs, if you will, or bigger dogs in the yard because of the telecommunications reach that they have. Who would you sign with? And who would be, say, a dream match that you would love to have, the ability to have if you could, in any one of those promotions? And it doesn't have to be like you could say, I want to sign with Impact, but I'd like to have a dream match with this guy. But let me know if there was an opportunity to sign with any of those four, which one would you go with? And who would you who would be your dream match? You had the ability to. I would sign with the WWE. And the first name that comes to mind is Buddy Murphy. <laughs> Vengeance. Vengeance. Still wanting to nail in the cop. Still wanting to get that up. Right? Uh, it's, it's just storytelling, right? There's only so many story arcs in the world. And I mean, it would be fitting to get an opportunity to get back in the ring and play on having been destroyed before. And maybe this time, instead of 90 seconds, I can go... You know, 120 seconds. Absolutely. 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 No, I think that's, that's, that's cool to have. And, you know, I I think with your ability and and how creative you are and how how everything's always changing and moving in this business is an opportunity for everybody. Mm. And I hope to see you back one there one day so I can gloat to all my friends and say, I needed that guy. (laughs) Well, thank you for the uh, The endorsement and the well wishes and all the kudos. I mean, if an opportunity came up with any major company to perform on a grand stage, I would take it because why not? I'm this far in, I'm this deep. I've devoted so much time into pursuing being a professional wrestler, which if you've known me my whole life, I mean, at least in my mind's eye is an extremely unlikely scenario. Like, you know, maybe as a three and four and five year old, I thought, okay, I can be a wrestler, but certainly not once my brain started to develop, um, you know, 
growing up and through my teens, I wasn't gearing up to be a wrestler. I was probably going to be like a writer in journalism or whatever, you know, like more an academic, like my strong suits in school were like English and history and writing essays. And I was the high school valedictorian and I went to university on a scholarship and have a communications degree. And then everything went topsy-turvy and at 26, I signed up at Battle Arts and here I am five, six years later. I mean, I'm not old by any stretch, but my window of opportunity is not as open as it is for others that are, say, starting out at 19 years old and have their whole lives ahead of them. Um, So I hope one of those opportunities does come sooner than later. And I can only imagine that I would take it if and when it does come. Um, Because the last six years have been like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like I entered into the the fantasy world of my childhood and I don't even believe it myself sometimes how far I've taken it. I have to take time to reflect and which I have and I do reflect often and I have to everything moves so fast. It's good to pause sometimes and be like, "Holy smokes, I I wrestled in the WWE, (laughs) you know, like that's still sinking in to me. And it's mixed with all my memories of like renting the VHS tapes. And, you know, it was only maybe a month ago. Oh, it was May 1st, uh, you know, for a throwback. I went and clipped out one minute of the match with Buddy Murphy because it had been one year. So I thought, all right, I'll put it on Instagram and get some likes and followers and have everybody look at me. And when I was clipping that out, I sat there and I watched the clip like 30 times. and was like, wow, <laughs> like that's me in the ring. What the heck? Um, yeah. So if an opportunity came, I'd, I'd take it. Might not believe it, but I'm doing everything I can to be ready for those opportunities. I feel like I am ready for those opportunities, even if I don't fully know it. It's like my coach here, obviously. Anthony Corelli or Santino, he often says, like, you know, you got to be prepared. But when that time comes, do everything I say, you'll be overprepared. And, uh, you know, there's been several high-stress moments throughout these six years of wrestling where, you know, I'm either going to be, like, intensely judged or, you know, the main one is, like, okay, I'm about to walk down the ramp and have a match in the WWE. You just got to breathe and remind myself in those moments, like, I am prepared for this. Like, I've been I've been doing it. I'm ready, you know? Uh, yeah. And I, I could go on and 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 on. Um, but yeah, I'll leave it at that. If an opportunity came up, I would, of course, I would sign with the WWE. But if it was anybody else, yeah, I'd take it. Like, it's another stage to perform on. It's another stage to perform on. It's another place to, to plant your flag and get your name out there. So I think you have the right mindset and the right attitude. And like I said, everything you've been doing, it was an honor and privilege for me to sit down and get you on the show. And I'm glad you were so gracious enough to accept it and we can work it out. Because it's been a lot of fun. Anytime I get a chance to talk wrestling with somebody who's in the business and pick their brain and see their perspectives, that's the best thing about being a podcast host. So I appreciate you. I appreciate the time. And 
you we already said it. We're officially family now. So anytime you want to come back, you're officially a member of the Straight Talk family. Anytime you want to come back, do it again. Awesome. So, I mean, is that it? I thought we were going to do like a five-hour interview. Yeah, I told you. It's my wife's birthday tonight. Oh, it's hour. your wife's <laughs> birthday, right. <laughs> All right. Well, just real quick. And thank you for having me on. But I'll take this opportunity to pl- to plug all of the upcoming opportunities for you to see myself in action, as well as many other wrestlers who are less important. Yes. Um, joking. Uh, so June 8th, Battle Arts Rising Stars here at Battle Arts Academy. I will be in action. I might actually need a cousin that day. I'm not sure that Bradford Montague will be around. So that might be an opportunity. That'll be maybe the day after this airs. No, is that? That would be the day after this airs. Holy. Do you think you'd be ready by then? Like to get into the ring and like mix I'm, it up? I might need a tag team partner. Yeah. I would stand beside the ring. I'll cheer for you. I'll ballet for you. But if you tag me in, I, I'll i just go old school. I'll spear somebody to the ground and just elbows to the face. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's that's the amount of ability that I have. We might need to get you in here a couple times before that, actually. Uh, anyway, June 8th, Rising Stars, Battle Arts Academy. Then we, of course, have June 23rd. That is Dark Side of the Diamond. Junction City Wrestling, Inside 3030. It's a long story, but there's a diamond and a conspiracy involved. You can kind of get up to date by watching Season 1 and Season 2 of exclusively Junction City Exclusively on Wrestling. YouTube. On YouTube, exclusively on YouTube. Check it out. Uh, season 3 which we started filming at Mayhem on May 5th. We'll start to air, uh, say, June 1st, and then it'll be Saturdays, leading up to our show, June 23rd at 30.30. Then we, of course, have, I believe it's going to be July 6th, Rising Stars here back at Battle Arts Academy. And then stay tuned to Battle Arts Pro online because Battle Arts is taking another step forward and anthony has decided that it's time to put out a professional promotion so battle arts pro will debut in july we're not sure exactly of the date does he need a commentator because as we've already specified i have a sexy pretty sexy radio voice well i'm uh, shamelessly plugging for a job yeah i mean you're gonna have to ask him i I don't thought you had an in i thought you were my in no i'm literally just i just work the desk here i i don't really have any say in anything well it's a good thing i had a kick-ass interview with his daughter a couple weeks ago i'll message her (laughs) (laughs) so june where were we you got me all off track because you thought about my sexy radio voice i was more so just lost in your eyes which you you can't see over radio i appreciate that george here he's got quite the face for radio i'm telling you thank you that's hurtful at the same time it's (laughs) hilarious but thank you (laughs) <laughs> so stay tuned at Battle Arts Pro online, Instagram, and Twitter. I think Twitter, there's an underscore in there, Battle Arts underscore There Pro. is, yes. But we're going to announce the date for mid-July coming up. That'll be the debut show. There's going to be some great special guests here, which we will, of course, reveal. And then as talked about, July 27th, we are back in the parking lot in the Ale Yards, Junction City Wrestling's free outdoor event. It'll be the 6th event of its kind the first time that all three ale yards breweries are hosting the event together shacklands junction craft and Reinhard in the ale yards that is brutality in support of the gladiators for the hockey association for the developmentally challenged july 27th then of course august 24th as revealed today on straight talk wrestling junction city wrestling summer vacation at the Horseshoe Resort in Barrie. Stay tuned for details on that. And then in the distant future, 
October 6, 2019, our third installment of Oktoberfest. All throughout the summer months and into the fall, there will, of course, be more battle arts shows as well. And those are pretty much the only places you can see me perform, either in Battle Arts Academy or Junction City Wrestling or every once in a while on WWE 205 Live. This has been Straight Talk Wrestling with your host, Freedom Wap. Oh, wait, no, this is, sorry, this is your show. This is my show. Sorry, sorry, Cousins. Go ahead, Cousins. Throw, throw us out of here. All right, guys, that's Freedom Wallace. Thank you so much again for the time. I appreciate it. Don't forget to check out all the great list of events that he had and check out all of his socials. And as usual, as always, I'll be back next week with another Kick-Ass episode. As always, stay love, stay wrestling. Peace out, guys. And I'm not as nice as this in the ring. I'm a villain. <laughs> all right, guys, we'll see you next week. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Catch us every Wednesday at 7.30 on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Also, be sure to follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, and Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. Wrestling!